In this episode, I'm going to be reading chapter 3. It is a dark night. The stars are gleaming in the sky. As you lie under the stars, you can't keep thinking about how wonderful this world has been made. All the plants, all the small details, everything was made by one God who loved his children so much. And so, I want to leave you with this thought. Sink into the night. Become one with your surroundings. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Release in release and let's count from three to one. Three, two, one. Good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite. Chapter three. May 5, 1861, Flint, Michigan. Sarah stood to the side of the rowdy crowd assembled outside the recruiting office on the corner of Saginaw and Kearsley Streets. It was Tuesday afternoon. Sarah had worked all morning in the shop fashioning the red, white, and blue rosettes that bore the words, the Union and the Constitution. Aunt Annie and two helpers had, the whole previous week, embroidered those words in gold thread on the tails of the rosette ribbons. Sarah's fingers were pricked and sore from making the rosettes which every woman in Flint intended to pin on the coat of a soldier on the morrow. When they gathered at this very corner to march off, Aunt Annie was still working in the shop with her helpers making the last of the rosettes, but had sent Sarah out to run some errands you look like you have the need of some fresh air, child. Go, though I'm ashamed to let you out in that dress. Have you nothing fit to wear? I tore it on the right here, Sarah lied, though it pained her to lie to Aunt Annie. She was a widow, but better off by far than Ma. Sarah saw right through it. She lived above her shop, had a man friend in a swallowtail coat, wasn't above sharing a small beer with him, and never got her feathers ruffled, far as Sarah could see. She told Sarah that she'd never felt so free as when she became a widow, secretly. 
Sarah suspected that Aunt Annie would approve of her plan to run off with the Flint Union Greys. Maybe even outfit her for it if she knew. But she couldn't entangle Aunt Annie that way. No, she'd leave a note and say she was going to see if she could become a nurse in Washington. She had it all planned out. Well, I'm too stout to give you the loan of one of my dresses, so as soon as this rosette business is over, I'll stitch you up a couple of new ones. Aunt Annie had promised. Sarah had done the errands, the greengrocer, the apothecary, the mercantile, all along the streets. She'd seen the posters nailed up, screaming out the need for army recruits. 18 or over, they fair shouted at you. The recruiting office was in the armory, a log building at the corner of Saginaw and Kearsley. Because the day was pleasant, the sergeant had a table set up outside. The line of recruits extended all the way around the corner into the alley where Sarah stood a bit away from them. She watched and listened as one by one the smooth-faced fearful youths took their place in front of the desk to answer the surgeon's rapid-fire questions. Can you make music? Where you from? Can you shoot a gun? Over 18? Music seemed to be the magic word, Sarah noted. The army needed drummers, bugglers. Some who answered yes to that question immediately got a pen shoved into their hands. They did not look 18 to Sarah. If only she could drum, she thought, or buggle. But the skills she had were far superior. She knew how to tend wounds, shoot a gun, ride, swim, stand up to the sun of a long summer day. Weren't such talents needed? She stood for half an hour, listening and watching, as one after another, the young men shuffled up to the desk and were either accepted or turned away, especially she. She watched the younger ones. Those turned away, she decided, did not look the recruiter square in the eye, did not stand tall and confident or shuffle their feet or looked abashed or ashamed could scarce speak plain, just couldn't stand up to that bearded, rough-voiced recruiting sergeant when he asks. Over 18. Others did, and some of them didn't look 18 to Sarah. What made the difference? 
Why did some hold up in front of that bear of a man and others crumble? It was the lie some could not tell, she decided. They worried it like a bone, like Sarah did. They wanted to join. Maybe, like her, they even joined for a need. Like Sarah, they had been brought up church going. To lie was wrong, of course. She had learned to lie to protect herself at home. There were times you either lied to Pa or you would be picking yourself up off the floor. Sarah didn't know much about God from her regular church going, but she was fairly sure God didn't approve of Pa to begin with. But how did you lie to the US government? For sure, this bear of a man represented the government, didn't he? She didn't concern herself as much with the larger lie passing as a man. She knew she could do that. Hadn't she spent years now doing a man's work, dressing in a man's clothing? Likely she could shoot and ride better than any of these recruits. Anyway, there were no laws yet about parrying as a man. But there were laws about lying about your age to an army recruiter so she calculated standing there if i can get past the age business i will be all right then a voice behind her said softly miss she turned he was young his face smooth he looked younger than ben even yes excuse me miss but I was wondering, could you hold my haversack for a minute? The street is kind of muddy. Where they stood was more in an alley beside the armory, but she didn't mark the distinction. She took the haversack, then watched in fascination as he unlaced his boots, slipped a piece of paper inside, before he put his talking foot back in, she saw that there was a number on the paper. 18. The foot went in. The boot was laced. He stood and grinned at her. Thank you, miss. I'm beholden. Beg pardon? The number in your shoe. What does it mean? Why, miss? It's a trick that works. I want to enlist, you see, but I'm just 16. It's wrong to lie, so I've been taught. I just couldn't wash away the guilt if I did. So I put that paper in my boot. Then when the sergeant there asks me if I'm over 18, the way he does, why? I say yes, and I'm not lying. You're not? Course not, miss. I'm over 18. Don't you see? The grin widened.
showing perfect white teeth. Yes, Sarah Louisa breathed softly. Yes, I see. Good luck to you. Thank you, miss. I've got to run. The Flint Union Greys are attached to the second Michigan and they leave for Detroit day after tomorrow. He bowed and ran to take his place in line. Sarah stood, waiting, though it was growing late and she was long since expected back at Aunt Annie's. When the young man's turn came to stand before the desk, she held her breath, but she needn't have worried. The sergeant fired the questions at him. He stood tall and straight and answered. Over 18, the sergeant barked. Yes, sir. The sergeant shoved a pen at him. Sign here, two-year enlistment. Sarah Louisa turned and started for Aunt Annie's house. She knew she'd have to do it soon. She and Ma had agreed that Ma would tell Pa she was staying at Aunt Annie's for a few days because Aunt Annie was feeling poorly. Then Aunt Annie would write Pa saying she couldn't do without the services of her niece and she'd pay her well and send the money to him. That part rankled Sarah, that her pa would get money she worked for so hard. But it was necessary to keep him at bay until she learned the trade. Then Aunt Annie and Ma had agreed that Aunt Annie would send her on down to Washington City where she could work for a friend of Aunt Annie's in another millinery shop. Sarah was afraid that as God made the corn nibbling grow, Pa would be after her if she didn't return in two or three days. Let him try, Aunt Annie had said. Sarah trusted her. But she knew she'd have to do it soon because the second Michigan was leaving tomorrow. May 5, the evening, Aunt Annie's shop, Flint, Michigan. Sarah had learned some matters of value in the afternoon she spent watching the men signing on. She had searched for her brother-in-law, Clarice's husband, Tobias. Monday, but he was nowhere to be seen. Of course, she realized, he could have already signed on and now be with the numbers of men either in the armory or camping in the field. She knew her chances of becoming discovered were twofold if Tobias was in the Flint Union Grace, but then the regiment was so big and Tobias stood out so with broad shoulders, great height and red hair. She would be able to spot him if he came near. 
Clarice had not wanted Tobias to volunteer, and he would do anything for Clarice. Sarah knew that. It was one of the reasons why Clarice so long ordered about her, but her father had married him. Tobias had rescued her, nothing less. Sarah was counting on the fact that he would not leave for war. Not just yet. The other thing she had learned was that Sarah would need some sort of disguise. She was good at disguises as well as mimicry. The few times she'd have been able to make Ma laugh was when she'd imitated Ezekiel Conkel, even deepening her voice and spitting on the ground. And she had played Topsy in her school's presentation of Uncle Tom's Cabin. So now, while town folk strolled the boardwalk outside the front windows in Aunt Annie's shop in the sweet May darkness, Sarah Louisa worked feverishly behind closed shutters by the light of a single kerosene lamp. All around her were the inards of Aunt Annie's business, ribbons, lace, jars of paste she had concocted, straw hats, swatches of velvet and silk. There had been a run on red, white and blue ribbon. Every other woman in Flint, it seemed, had wanted her hat trimmed by tomorrow. But Sarah was working with black hair. It was a play, a plan she'd convinced herself to take part in. After supper, Aunt Annie's swallowtail gentleman friend had come by to take her with him. He was a bandmaster in Flint, and tomorrow the band would play while the soldiers assembled for ceremonies before leaving. If I don't come home this night, don't worry, Aunt Annie had told her. I and some other woman will be keeping them in food while they practice. How Sarah envied her aunt's freedom to come and go as she pleased. Beholden to no man. Imagine Ma saying such. She took the opportunity to go downstairs to the shop. Now she was fashioning a narrow coatee and moustache. She had already cut off her curls and every so often she worked. She shook her head unaccustomed to the absence of the dark mass that had always featured her neck. She had fed and said goodbye to Max, who was now munching his supper in the small barn behind the house and shop. She already written the note for Aunt Annie. It was in her pocket. All that was left was to sign up. 
she decided she had best do it now. She had heard that the recruiting sergeant would be behind his desk until 10 o'clock this evening. In a corner of the shop behind the counter that held the last of the rosettes, she pulled off the torn calico dress and stood tucking her shirt into her trousers. In her boot, she'd already put the small scrap of paper that said 18. She knew it was foolish, but she needed all the luck she could get. Carefully, in front of a small mirror, she pasted the small goatee and moustache on her face with spirit gum. That mole on her left cheekbone was a problem, she minded. People could always identify you by a mole. Maybe in the army she'd meet a doctor who could take it off. No, best stay away from doctors. They saw things other people didn't. She studied herself in the mirror. Then it came to her. Soldiers didn't get a chance to shave every day and with the rest of her face, baby smooth, how could she explain a goatee? She decided against the moustache too. She'd take them along though. See how things went. She took the note for Aunt Annie out of her pocket and left it on the counter. Then she picked up her bundle, went out the front door, locked it and headed for the corner of Saginaw and Kearsley. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite.